Hello and welcome to another episode of Haunted HTX Podcast. I'm your host, Zach. I want to apologize for the long wait in between episodes. I work in the food service industry and the Christmas holiday season is our busiest time of the year. So I was exhausted and just didn't have time to work on the podcast. Hopefully this longer episode will make up for that. We have two stories tonight and I hope you enjoy them. So let's just get to the stories. Our first story tonight comes from Chuck Curtis from New Hampshire. It's titled, A True Story from My Childhood, About Age 12, Fleeting Images. The precise reasons for my three sisters and myself being in this attic space on that hot summer day escape my current memory. That's this incident, after all, took place several years ago. It's a wonder that any of the details are vivid for me concerning the happenings that surrounded our adventures on that day and the ensuing results. I will make the assumption, and probably correct so, that the four of us were merely bored and seeking recreation of a new sort. Even though normally we were not keen about being in this dusty, foul-smelling space that we each, without verbalizing it, knew without a doubt that there were ghosts and evil spirits of all sorts living here. Our uncanny ability to put those fears to rest just for the afternoon and make this a fun exploration amazes me. Ah, the magical workings of the minds of children. As we romped freely back and forth in the center portion of this attic, we occasionally stopped at the small and dirty windows at each end to peek out to the yard below. For me, it was a way of confirming to myself that we were still in our own home and had not entered the twilight zone. It was a way of comforting my mind. I am willing to bet that the girls had similar thoughts. The single and bare light bulb which hung by its fixtures cord was located at the top of the stairway offering very little light to the areas away from it. I can't imagine that it was any higher than a 50 watt. We may have been privileged to have the use of a flashlight, a possibility but not a fact that I'm certain of. At some point during our escapade, I recall stepping onto one of the old and wide wooden floorboards which were located off to the side of the center and discovered that it was very loose compared to the rest of the ones we had been running across. I decided to investigate it further and found that I could easily lift one edge and roll it onto the one next to it. When the dust settled some, I was looking at insulation, which strongly resembled the stuffing that I had seen on the side of my bed mattress where it had somehow gotten torn. It was... It was some sort of cottony, bald padding that was used against both the cold and noise, and was probably the best material available at the time that this home was built. I recalled hearing my father saying one day earlier that our home had, at one time, been the only one in existence for miles around, and that town records substantiated that fact. After all, South Berwick, Maine was not always as populated as it was when we lived there. The basement walls of our home were constructed of large rocks that resembled the ones you would use in a stone wall at the edge of your property. And when it rained for more than a day at a time, 
Our coal furnace had to be saved from flooding by us bailing with buckets and dumping the water into the cistern, which was down there. More than once, I was awakened in the middle of the night by my mom, who said it was time to go to the cellar again because the water was getting dangerously close to the danger line. Today, I think it's strange that even though it was musty, dingy, damp, and very dark down there, my sisters and myself did not have the same fears of being there that we felt when being in our attic. Whatever was in my mind that caused me to search through this insulation material with my bare hands is certainly a mystery. I had to be motivated by something. No normal person of any age or gender would decide to grope through musty, smelling stuffing discovered under loose floorboards in a hot and dimly lit portion of their home, would they? As I recall, my searching, if that's what I was doing, resulted in finding an object that was a delight to our eyes, a photograph. The female in this picture appeared to be somewhat between her mid to late 20s. The portrait was a close-up of her face, which was turned slightly in one direction and tilted upward some. She was very beautiful and had shoulder-length brown, slightly curly locks of hair. It was very old, but in excellent condition. The size was approximately 8 inches by 10 inches, not including the width of the frame, and was an odd shade of brown. The hand-carved wooden frame was also brown and unpainted. We marveled at my discovery and made childish comments and asked questions of each other about it, which had no answers. We soon went down to the second floor level, where there was more light and to take turns examining the buried treasure closer. On the back of the frame, centered and near the top, we could just barely make out the date that appeared to have been written there with a lead pencil. It said 1874. We were astounded. Before going to bed that night, we talked about our find and showed it to mom and dad. Now, one would think that they probably would have shown great interest because this photo was very old and because we had found it in a rather odd location. One could also think it normal for them to want to search further in that location for other possible items, as well as my sister and myself having that desire. If any of us revisited the attic intending to look for more treasures at any point in time, or if we even discussed the reasons why we should do just that, my memory holds no recollection of any of that, strange as that sounds. I just do not remember. When I sat down to begin writing this story, I promised myself I would not make up any details at a point where I have a gap in positive memory. So I will merely state that I also do not recall any talk within my earshot of that photo having much monetary value because of the date on it. But I did secretly wonder about the possibility. Within a few days, I placed the photo and frame on the top shelf of the closet in the corner of my bedroom. I do recall vividly that at some point in time, I had foolishly decided to darken the date we found written on the backside of the wooden frame. I used a ballpoint pen and carefully wrote over the date to make it easier to read. 
If not for my age, along with my innocence and a lack of knowledge that you just don't do that sort of thing with old treasured items, I would have to agree with anyone who was thinking that I should have been severely chastised for the foolish deed had any person witnessed it. When the following incident occurred, enough time had elapsed so that I no longer thought about the item I had placed in my closet. It was about 9pm and I was not very sleepy, rather just bored, and had decided to climb into my bed for the night. On the inside of my door, I had installed a gate hook type of lock, and I always fastened it, both at bedtime and during the day, when I did not want my sisters barging in uninvited, which they had a habit of doing before I got smart. As per custom, I latched the door and climbed into bed, which at that time stood about the center of my room, just past the open closet entrance and the foot of the bed facing toward my doorway. I would often move my bed to a new area and sometimes with the headboard facing the door, just to fight off boredom. It sometimes looked precarious, but I did not care about traditional furniture arrangements. I pulled the blankets up to my chin and closed my eyes. I was facing the wall on the closet side of the room. I estimate the time that passed to be no more than an hour. I was still wide awake. Thoughts of sugar plums dancing, oh, oh wait, that was probably only on Christmas Eve. <laughs> I was thinking about the day's events and what I might do for the excitement the following day as it was summer and school was not in session. Then I heard a faint sound of stairs being stepped on and an occasional creaking. The noises were barely audible and seemed far away. My first thought was that another family member was either coming upstairs or maybe going down. Certainly nothing to get excited about. The noises soon stopped. A few minutes passed. Then I sensed a light coming in, even though my eyes were still closed. Somehow I just felt the light rather than actually seeing any. I know no other way of describing the sensation. I opened my eyes. I heard nothing. I saw nothing. Not even the light I thought was there. Something prompted me to turn and face the other direction. I did this slowly and steadily. When I had turned far enough so that my eyes could look toward my door, I was both surprised and amazed when I became blinded by the brightness in that one area. I blinked several times and still could not figure out what was happening. Thinking suddenly that it had to be my imagination, this light as I refer to it, slowly turned into the form of a human. The shape of a head with long flowing hair was visible. Then below that was what appeared to be a long, shapeless robe or gown, perhaps. There were no features at all, just the shape, like a shadow, but bright, not dark. Instinctively, I spoke to ask who was there in front of me. Mom? No sound. Linda? Nothing. Diane? 
Sue? I didn't say the word dad. Maybe because my brain was secretly telling me that dad would not wear a robe or a gown. The question of how did this person, whoever it was, unlock my door and get in there was not on the top of my list of things that might be proper to ask at that moment. It was not a wonder of who are you, but of what are you. Now the figure was coming nearer to my bed. I witnessed no bobbing or weaving of the shoulder area as you would when someone is walking toward you. No sound of footprints either. Whatever or whoever this was could just seemingly float in my direction. I soon became somewhat nervous and apprehensive. Not frightened, honestly, not at all. I just sensed a feeling of bewilderment and confusion. I quickly turned my body back so that I was once again facing the wall behind me, pulled the covers up and over my head, and just decided to lie still and wait for whatever fate was before me. Well, if you have ever tried to keep your head under the covers, for any reason and for any length of time, you can relate. It was not long before my ability to breathe in the fresh air was nearing its end. When I reached the point of nearly passing out, I slowly slipped the blanket downward and past my mouth area. I tried to remain quiet, but the need for oxygen was too great. I gasped a few times to stabilize my chances of surviving, which I wondered about momentarily. But again, as I stated, I was not scared. When I felt that I was back in my normal state of alertness, whatever that was, I slowly turned my body to once again face the door. I decided that whatever was to happen, whatever I was to see, I might as well get it over with. The bright light was no longer there. In the dimness of the moonlight through the windows, I could easily see that my door was wide open. Confused and still in a state of wonder, I decided against getting up to relatch my door. I felt that the bed offered some security and I wanted to remain in it for now. All kids know that ghosts and monsters can't get to you if you're still in your bed. Remember, I was not scared. I was simply not ready to gamble, not knowing the odds. When I awoke after a fitful night of tossing and turning more than sleeping, I made my usual trip to the bathroom, which was beyond my sister's room, a sharp left, and then straight past the top of the stairway. As I walked out into the hallway with the attic entrance being to my immediate left, I noticed that the latch, which was similar to the one on my bedroom door, was not secured, and the door was slightly ajar. I did not touch it, nor think much of it until later, when I related this whole series of events to other family members and some of the puzzle pieces began to fall into place. Throughout that day, I revealed my story to the rest of the family, cornering each member as best as I could, and when they were willing to stand still long enough to hear me out completely, I approached each one by asking if they had been anywhere near my bedroom door or the attic door about the time that this incident began for me. 
The answer I received from each was worded slightly differently, but all meant emphatically, no, why? There was a total of five other people in my home besides myself. As I explained to each one what had taken place the night before in my room, the reactions, though mixed with giggles, wide eyes, and looks of disbelief and glances towards the ceiling, were pretty much the same from each of them, and in the end, implied that there were several logical explanations possible. I had dreamed the whole thing. I was crazy. I was making the whole thing up. It was impossible. There is no such thing as ghosts. One of my parents, and I'm not sure which, replied that I obviously believed it happened, but it really didn't. It couldn't. Dreams sometimes seem real for a short time. I was extremely frustrated, yet I also understood. I would not have believed this story myself had one of them approached me with it, and I had not been through a similar experience. And I had no witness to attest to my story. Nobody had seen the two doors that morning, mysteriously unlatched during the darkness, or heard me call out names, or heard the sound of creaking footsteps. And, of course, the brightly lit human figure was not seen by anybody but me. I had not yet found anybody that even remotely thought it might have really happened, and for several months after this happened to me, I was the brunt of many a joke. Much tee-heeing, laughing, and people making ghostly sounds in my presence. I had not attempted to relay my story to any other friend or relative, but Mom, Dad, and all three sisters managed to do that for me, and each had their own distinct version, which changed every time it was passed along, none being nearly as accurate as my own. Eventually, this was all either forgotten or no longer talked about, and the teasing stopped. I, however, had not forgotten, and though nothing ever happened like that again, I felt there had to be a reason for that visit to my room that night, and secretly hoped that someday it may come to light. No pun intended. <laughs> Several months later, I was in our front yard, close to the main porch one day, and at least one of my sisters was close by, though which one I'm not sure of. Most likely it would have been the oldest girl, Linda since she became involved in the conversation that came about after the man drove into our driveway and approached us. The other sisters would not have been interested due to their ages. The man smiled at us, introduced himself as an antique dealer, and said he was wondering if we thought there might be some real old items around our house that our parents would let him look at and maybe want to sell to him. Dad was at work, and rather than get Mom involved, I took it upon myself to show him the interior of our garage. I explained that he could look around in there to see if there was anything he might be interested in. My heart pounding with excitement, and images of dollar bills flashed before my eyes. I anxiously walked behind him as my sister, 
in her feeble attempts to become my business partner in all this, pointed out useless items here and there. Broken pieces of wood, saved from some project, scraps of leather from the local shoe shop, a cardboard advertisement nailed high on the rafters which read Perry's Nut House, Belfast, Maine. A hand-painted Hotel Statler sign tacked high on the door of the two-hole privy in the corner. I visualized my father painting the words on that board years before, and I finally told my sister to shut up and let me do the talking. Finally, after seeing nothing that he considered antique, the three of us walked back into the yard area. When asked about the possibility of looking inside our house, I told him he better wait until my father was at home. At times like this, I sometimes developed a fleeting flash of common sense, and this was one of those times. I was temporarily the man of the house and had to protect the innocent and helpless womenfolk from harm. As a result, he was not invited to come into our home that day, and he did not return as far as I know. However, just as he was about to get back into his truck and leave, I suddenly had another flash of brilliance. I asked him to wait for a moment while I went to fetch something he might want to buy. He mumbled something incoherent as I flew through the porch door and headed for the stairway. When I say flew, I mean that quite literally. I think I somehow reached the top step without touching the ones that preceded it. As my hands searched along the front edge of the shelf in my closet, I was somewhat puzzled at first, because I did not remember pushing the framed photo back very far from the front area. This shelf was too high for my hand to reach inward any more than three or four inches. Now I was not just frustrated, I was angry. I fetched a nearby chair from the opposite corner that was seldom used due to the loose and wobbly legs that needed re-gluing. I used it mostly as a place to set my school homework assignments, which I never intended to work on anyway. I hoped it would hold together just long enough for me to be able to see the entire shelf area and grab the photo I had placed there several months before. I gingerly stood up onto the seat of the chair. So far, so good. There was very little light in this closet, even during the day, and it took a few seconds for my eyes to adjust. When I could make out the few items stored up there, oddly enough, the photo and frame were not there. <clears throat> I jumped down off the chair, nearly losing my balance in the process. My next thought was that the antique man was probably getting anxious and might just drive away, never to return. I ran to my window and slid the lower section up with great effort. Every window in this house opened the same way, with much difficulty due to moisture damage and warping. What a pain! Pun intended. I got it up about six inches and shouted to my sister below to keep the man there and I would be down shortly. She said okay, and now I started looking under, in, and around everything in that room. In the process, I discovered some items which I had forgotten I had put there, and some that I wondered why I even held on to. I made a mental note to deal with them later. Now, I decided that I had looked everywhere, 
that there was to look and headed down to where my mother was working in the kitchen. I asked her hastily if she knew where it was, and she calmly explained that she had not seen it since the day we found it and had wondered herself where I had put it. The words, Mom, you aren't helping a bit, were running through my mind. She then asked who the man was in our yard with Linda, and I mumbled that he was just asking for directions. Now, I had one last person close by that I could ask. Linda had not moved an inch from the spot where she had been when I hollered down to her from my window, and she was still looking up, expecting to see my face reappear at any moment. I quickly and pleadingly asked if she knew where the photo could be, and her reply was about the same as the one I got from my mother. She had not been informed as to where I had put it either. At this point, the man decided to leave. He slowly shook his head and once again mumbled some incoherent sentences as he headed back to the driver's side of his pickup truck. I turned and slowly walked to the porch entry, disappointed and now shaking my head in disbelief. The item I was searching for was never seen again by any of us in the family. We move my story now to many years later when I got that phone call. It was my father and he sounded upset. Dad proceeded to tell me that he was shaking like a leaf and that what had just happened at his work where he was an appliance department manager had caused him to immediately call me and apologize. Uh, for what? I asked. Then he related the conversation he had just had with a married couple that had bought an appliance from him. The three of them were discussing a delivery date and directions to their home in South Berwick. He said they were very elderly and required a new refrigerator. Their talk soon led to Dad telling them that our family had resided in South Berwick for several years, and he proceeded to explain the location of that house and what it looked like. The old man and his wife immediately responded by telling my father that they too had lived in that same house several years before we moved there and that they had sworn to never enter that home again. When asked why, they explained to my dad that the house was haunted by a woman who sometimes moved with a lantern in her hand and that they had both observed her upstairs on more than one occasion. They went on to tell him that she always appeared very bright in the darkness and seemed to just float from place to place but never made any sounds. He was now calling me to apologize for all the years of disbelief, and he was anxious to tell the rest of the family and relatives that he was now convinced I had been telling the truth. He was in shock from what the couple had told him but just had to talk to me and say he was sorry. I replied by telling him no apology was needed, of course, but also that I was relieved and very happy to finally have somebody say that they believed my story. Not long after this day, I learned that our old home had been recently purchased by a man who had been a former friend and classmate during all my school years in South Berwick. I was permitted to visit him and to see the, some of the interior improvements he and his wife had made. However, I was not invited to view the entire home or any of the upstairs, much to my disappointment. 
I never knew why, but did not push the issue out of respect. I did remember to ask if they had seen anything that could be considered ghostly or spiritual. They said they had not. Our final story of the night comes from Woke Goat in South Carolina. There are a few experiences that I've had that left me with no other choice than to believe in the paranormal. I'm more spiritual than religious and have always been open to the possibility of this dimension being inhabited by way more than just humans. This experience was the first of many and I actually liked it. It all started shortly after I moved from North Carolina to South Carolina. My family is from there, but I was born in North Carolina. I was in my mid-twenties then. I ended up staying in a trailer that was owned by a close friend of the family. It was in a lot that one of my cousins, my uncle, and her mom lived around as well. The one I lived in was uniquely customized. They took two trailers and slapped them together at the ends. Imagine that one Tetris piece that looks like a vertical Z. I had the one in the back. A straight walk through the living room and past the kitchen. Look left and boom, there's my hallway suite. Living there wasn't bad. It was pretty rural, but it wasn't severely isolated. You could legit shoot any gun of your choosing and nobody would show up. There were acres of field directly behind the trailer, and once you got across those, it led to a wooded, swampy area and a river. Quicksand, huge spiders, wild boars, man-sized bears, bobcats, and whatever screams across the night back and forth at each other are just a small list of things considered normal in this area. Me being Mr. Creepy Rasta loved and still love every bit of it. I have plenty of stories involving every one of these, but this one is only the trailer. I had been there a month or two before anything started to stand out to me. My cousin and her four girls would come over and hang out from time to time, even spend the night. So waking up in the middle of the night and noticing a light on in the other room or the sink on in the bathroom was pretty much overlooked. I had two sets of twins running around the house, all girls two years apart. So it was a war zone at times. What made me start paying attention was when I would wake up to a dark house with running water and turn it off only to half sleepily remember that I was home alone that night. Maybe an hour or so after that, I wake up to running water with a little razzle-dazzle, because now the bathroom light is on too. I shrug it off and keep it moving because I'm into the things like this, so it's no big deal. Plus, the trailer already has many issues, so it could be anything at this point. Things started becoming regular occurrences, like slow, long scratching along the walls. You would hear it above your head, then across the room, then on the ceiling. Occasionally, there would be a series of knocks that would join in. 
My cousin and I would halfway joke and say it was a raccoon, a cat, or a wood rat. It was all funny until it started escalating. After a while, my cousin started hearing the scratching in her room she would stay in. She was on a straight shot down the hallway. In retrospect, I honestly think that's why she started staying over less and less. Once she told me she was hearing it too, I had no choice but to tell her what I had been thinking since it started. It just might be a ghost. I know being near woods and a river out in the country can invite many things, not all living. She pretty much laughed it off, but the awkward silence that followed confirmed in my mind that she agreed with my assumption. A few weeks passed by and not much more happened other than the usual spook stuff and a big ass spider moving into a hole at the bottom of the wall directly across the hall from my doorway. Then it got real. I remember waking up some hour after midnight a little confused at what I was hearing. You know how you're half asleep but still aware of your surroundings? Well, that's pretty much the state I was in when I floated out of sleep. I listened and listened, laying there the entire time wide awake. I know, because I've had out-of-body experiences and sleep paralysis every once in a while. Believe me, I was awake. My bed was literally next to the door, with no door, by the way, just a sheet I hung up. For a good ten minutes, all I could hear was running. It went past my room down the hallway. It would stop and then run past my room again all the way down the other end, then repeat. The reason I was so confused is that there was absolutely no other sound. Now I know you're like, WTF, but hear me out. I'm used to hearing my little cousins run down that hallway, regularly and at very high amounts. The confusion stopped when I realized I only heard one set of footsteps and that there was no laughing, talking, breathing hard, hair beads clinking together, or anything that accompanied all the things the ear associates with little girls. I sat up and cut on the light, and the very second I did, it stopped. Usually, I don't get creeped out, even if my hair is standing on end. I pretty much get a rush out of things like that. Need a guy to sit in an abandoned nursing home out in the middle of nowhere? I'm your guy every time. But when that light clicked on and the running stopped, I had no choice but to go sit outside on the porch and chain smoke a few cigarettes. I felt equally creeped and crazy. Not the usual adrenaline rush and laughter. This was something I couldn't hold in at all. The next day, I immediately told everyone I came across. They all pretty much gave me the same opinion. It was a ghost or I was just BSing. Well, my optimism kicked in that night, in the middle of a smoke session. I decided to look at it a different way. I mean, hey, I'm Mr. Creepy himself, right? So that's just perfect. 
a ghastly guest, a homie from six feet only, a sidekick that doesn't tick. I became very open to the idea and welcomed all interaction. I got to the point where I converse and talk to it daily while I'm just doing whatever around the house. It was like having an imaginary friend, but not like it at the same time. I'd even gotten used to the regular heavy foot running every other night. I'd talk shit if I had to get up and turn off the water in the bathroom, and that actually made it lessen. If I wanted to feel alone and in the zone, I'd put on my headphones. It was weird at times though, I'd go to sleep hot and sweaty, light on, and wake up later under a blanket with the fan on full blast in a, in a chair facing me beside my bed. Pitch black room. No memory whatsoever of doing anything or moving any chairs. This would happen on sober nights, and I'm not a sleepwalker or anything, so I pretty much saw it as my buddy looking out for me. If I lost something, it would be waiting for me on my bed. I was there for months and months and didn't really have company. If I did, they didn't stay long or overnight. I ended up talking to the owner. We'll call her Miss G. About everything and how it progressed to that current point. We probably smoked two or three cigarettes each by the time I had finished. She was very patient and listened to every word. Gave a few interesting facial expressions and even a couple of giggles. I'll never forget what she said to me once I was done though. She put that last cigarette out and put it plain and simple. It's my brother. It has to be. She said that the trailer I was staying in used to belong to her deceased brother, and he used to chase the kids up and down the hallway all day playing with them. She even added that he used to play in the bathroom sink a lot as a kid himself. She said she'd witness a handful of things there as well, but knew the familiar energy too well to be afraid of it. I honestly didn't know how to react. All I could do was thank her. When I did, she looked up to me with a smile on her face and asked me, why? I said, because you just confirmed that I'm not crazy. She laughed and said I just did the same for her, and we both laughed even harder. That year was like no other, and the memories will never fade from my mind. It's now 2022, and that trailer has fallen, and what was left has been cleared away. I still visit the lot where it stood to honor my old friend and let him know his former roommate is alright. I'll end on this even crazier truth. The universe has a very funny way of working because I started dating a phenomenal woman to whom I am now married. We dated for months before I found out something that still makes me laugh and grin when it crosses my mind. My wife lost her father when she was young. Would you believe me if I told you that my ghost buddy was her dad? So basically, I met my father-in-law years before I met my actual wife. Coincidence? You tell me. That's all for tonight. 
I hope you all enjoyed this episode of Haunted HTX Podcast. If you liked it, make sure to leave a five-star review and follow so you don't miss the next episode. I want to give a special thanks to Oscar for making the intro music, and to Chuck Curtis and Woke Goat for sharing their stories with me. If you have a story you'd like to share on the podcast, email me at hauntedhtx at gmail.com. And with that, sleep tight, y'all.